New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Atkinson, offers a deeply thoughtful view of conscious evolution drawn from the continuous wisdom of the world's religions. He inspires hope as he traces love's unifying power throughout history and in our myths. He encourages us not to be distracted by seeming setbacks. This big picture view of human progress points to peaceful unity as our ultimate destination. How we get there depends on the stories we live by and the action we take. And this will be the subject of today's deep dialogue with our guest, Dr. Robert Atkinson. Bob Atkinson is an internationally recognized authority on life story interviewing, personal myth-making, and soul-making, and is a professor emeritus of cross-cultural human development and religious studies at the University of Southern Maine. He's the director of Story Commons. His journeys have taken him on a series of adventures, including sailing on the maiden voyage of the Clearwater with Pete Seeger and his singing crew, attending the Woodstock Music Festival, living in a cabin in the woods near the Hudson River, visiting Arlo Guthrie at his farm in the Berkshires, having a synchronistic and fateful meeting with Joseph Campbell that became a mentoring relationship, all of which frame his memoir of that period, remembering 1969, searching for the eternal and changing times. He's the author of many other books, including The Gift of Stories, Practical and Spiritual Applications of Autobiography, Life Stories, and Personal Mythmaking, Mystic Journey, Getting to the Heart of Your Soul's Journey, and most recently, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. Join us for the next hour as we explore conscious evolution drawn from the continuous wisdom of the world's religions with our guest, Dr. Robert Atkinson. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Bob, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. It's great to have you. I I would love to begin. I, I know last night I attended a talk that you gave, and you started that talk in a very interesting way, 
you talked about how you derive the title of your current book, The Story of Our Time. Can you talk a little bit about that title? Sure. I was uh, kind of breaking it down so so it's understandable what the title really is getting at. And the first part is the story. And I was I'm using that in the sense in the same sense that Carl Jung used myth. And in particular, when he asked himself a question in his autobiography, in what myth am I living today? Or what sacred story am I living today? He had a difficult time with that question, and he couldn't, couldn't come up with a satisfying answer. So he went, he continued to write his autobiography without having his own answer to his own question. And I've realized how critically important that question is for all of us, not just for someone like Jung, who uh, was one who went to the deepest depths possible internally, but it's it's as important for all of us. So so the story in the title refers to that, um, to, to myth in the classic sense, as, as the deepest truth, and also it refers to a sacred story. The other part of the title that I was breaking down is Our Time. And that can get a little confusing or interpreted in any number of ways, too. And I'm not using Our Time in sense of the uh, current or present moment with all of its conflict, chaos, and confusion that we can get drawn into and stuck in. Uh, but rather, I'm referring to something more like the eternal moment, where past, present, and future come together as one. And when we begin to think of it in that way, another way to understand our time comes to mind, too, and that's in terms of the spiritual epic in which we live. And that um, that's a time frame that is quite huge when we understand what spiritual epics are and how they come into being, how long they last. And what, what that refers to generally is, is the um, time period that each uh, major prophet of the world's religions has um, uh, been the, the the release of their spiritual energies has been impacting the world until another one came along. So there's the Christian epic, the the Muslim epic, and on and on. And um, before the Christian was the Buddhist. Well, yeah, we, epic I mean, we go Hindu, way back. Yes, go way back to the um, to the to the Hindu epic. Yes, and. Um, even the uh, the Zoroastrian epic um, and the Jewish epic, it, uh, and then on to the ones I mentioned, they they can range anywhere from five, six to ten or twelve centuries, and they are the impulse and the inspiration for a whole new civilization being created on earth during that during any of those particular spiritual epics and it i like to think of the time period 
in the same way that we can think of any day. Every day has its sunrise and its sunset, just as spiritual epics do. So the people who, the, the uh, early followers of, of Jesus were right there at the sunrise of that epic. So the, the, and after, after the, the Mahavadan epic uh, revelation, the next one after that is, is that of Baha'u'llah, who lived in the, in the 19th century. And his revelation began in the mid-1800s. And so if we think of that as the beginning of the most recent spiritual epic, that's really the our time that I'm thinking most about in this book. I'm putting everything kind of in the context of that latest revelation. And so we're right now only about a century and three quarters into that latest revelation, that, you know, that latest it, epic. It, it's interesting that, that you're looking at it from the lens of spiritual epics. And when we go through school, what we what we're learning is through the lens of war. You know, we look at history and we look right. at all the wars and the invasions and we have to memorize all of those dates. This is a very different way of looking at how humanity has truly been influenced. Uh, so what would you have to say about that? That's very true. I mean, we, and we are taught in schools mostly uh, when it comes to history, we're taught mostly about the rise and fall of civilizations and all of that, which is um, an interesting and important piece of the whole, but it's not the whole. And, and if we really want to understand the, um, what's going on with rise any of the rise and fall of civilizations, we have to look at the big picture, the whole, the picture as a whole. And for me, I think I've, um, it makes more sense to look at the big picture from the perspective of the spiritual epics that I refer to, because each of those go through their process of sunrise, noon, and sunset. And um, the the basic idea here is that we're talking about universal patterns existing in in the creation and even and so we can identify historians have identified patterns of rise and fall of civilizations and all of that and and we can observe the uh, the cycle of the seasons the four seasons, there, and so both of those are part of the same universal law. I came across an interesting article the other day about, uh, or a while ago, that I referred to in the in the prologue of the book about a, a scientist who wrote an article with a question as a title: "What is the most astonishing thing about the universe?" And then he went on to answer his own question. Finally, after going through a few possibilities of what that answer might be, he provided what he felt was the answer to that question, which was 
that in all of its levels and all of its spheres and every other thing that you can imagine from micro to macro, there's one universal law that governs nature. I mean, it's interesting on one hand that, but there had been there had been other scientists who had. What, been, what is that law then? The law is basically that um, that there's that this the that the entire okay, this was the the way he put the law is that the entire universe obeys the same fundamental laws of nature. When you think about that, how could it be any other way? How the only alternative to that one would be living in a in a random universe, which would be way more chaotic than we think things are right now. And the, and there'd be no way of things that we've been doing forever. Um, scientists and others, philosophers, have been identifying patterns. So, so that would mean that uh, both religion and science and humankind is all part of that whole pattern uh, of of creation. That that we're not separate. We're not outside of it. Uh, exactly. You know. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Robert Atkinson, and he is the author of. The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, robertatkinson.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Bob Atkinson, Robert Atkinson. He's the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And Bob, I'd like uh, to go back a little bit to your own uh, mythology, your own guiding myths, so to speak, that you spoke about in the very beginning of the program that Jung was asking himself and it's a wonderful question and i i just noticed with with yourself here you are a, a a young man and you're on the hero's journey obviously you're meeting 
Pete Seeger and you're sailing up the Hudson River and you end up at Woodstock. And then synchronistically, my goodness, you meet Joseph Campbell, right? This is like the early 70s. And uh, just at this very formidable time in your own life. So I'd love for you to say something about how that affected your whole journey. Yeah, that's a, a story that I could start any number of places. But I think to get to the um, to get to the call to the adventure part, the the first phase of the journey, I was a counselor at a summer camp in 1969, and one day we were all gathered around a small TV in the large dining hall, and we were watching the moonwalk. And there we were, all the counselors and campers around this little TV. And not only did we watch it and see the the foot stepping on the moon and the unforgettable comment about that, um, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Then after, right after that, we saw the photos of Earth from the moon. And I would say that that was, um, in, the, in the immediate sense, that was the beginning of my call to adventure because I, that, that those photographs were like nothing other that I had ever seen. And, and I began to realize we really do live in a boundaryless planet with nothing uh, between us except what other uh, lines people have drawn and they're and they're uh, clearly artificial and illusory except in a pol- geopolitical sense so anyway I um, it was a few days after that moonwalk that I happened to notice a headline in a local newspaper that said Hudson River Sloop coming to Port Jeff which was only a few uh, a little ways from where I was. And I had met Pete the year before, and he told me about he was raising money to build a replica of the Clearwater. So I knew I had to go and see him. I took off from the summer camp and met him in Port Jeff, and we talked about things, and he ended up inviting me to sail on the maiden voyage in the, that, that following week. And for those, Pete Seeger is one of the icons of folk folklore and folk songs and just an inspiration of and uh activism in the in the most loving sense of activism definitely yeah and because this was um he had done all of that through folk singing for many many years before that and and here he was starting a new project that in a way became a forerunner to the environmental movement. So he was a true Renaissance person and and became my mentor as well as I uh, went on that maiden voyage that he invited me on. Uh, but then, I, so you mentioned Woodstock and after that and living in the cabin in the woods and that winter... I couldn't stay in the cabin any longer because it wasn't winterized, so I ended up being given a cell in a nearby Franciscan monastery. And one evening, 
while I was staying in the cell, uh, staying in the monastery, I went down to New York City and I was wandering along 8th Street and I looked in the 8th Street bookshop window and saw this book that drew my attention. I went in, found the book, picked it up, started reading it. And in a minute or so, I looked, I glanced up at the bulletin board right in front of me and I noticed the flyer there announcing a talk by Joseph Campbell, whose book I was reading. And which book was it? That was Hero with a Thousand Faces. And that was my first um, introduction to it, was um, just when I started reading it. And so here, here I was in the bookstore with, a t- with him giving a talk a couple of blocks away that same night, and I had just enough time to get over there. So I got the book and walked over to Cooper Union, sat down in the Great Hall. It filled up around me. And I began listening to his talk, and it was like I was the only one in that room. He was talking directly to me because I realized right away pretty much that he was describing the journey that I was on in a in a symbolic, mythological sense or level. Even though at the time I was kind of in the retreat phase or the, or the belly of the whale phase of it, and little did I know that a few months after that I'd be returning to the college that I'd graduated from and teaching a course. Uh, so, but I, it was so meaningful and impactful for me to sit there listening to him describe that, that I went up and met him afterwards. And um, that was the beginning of a, a ongoing relationship where he became another, where he was a, another mentor for me. I, uh, our personal, my, husband, former husband, who has passed on, and myself, our personal relationship with Joseph Campbell really reflects what you experienced. We were also quite young when we met him, and he was so generous to mentor us, to mentor you, and mentor so many others. Uh He just, he loved especially being with younger people and and really being very magnanimous in his time and his energy and his wisdom. That is so true. And I was um, a little overwhelmed with his uh, openness and generosity. And I mean, he invited me to his home in Greenwich Village a couple of times. And, On Waverly Street, uh, right? 136, yep. I think it was. Right. Yep. <laughs> and... Um, so on one of my visits to his home there, he gave me a copy of the last, uh, the final volume of the Mass of God that he had just completed, and he signed it. And the foreword to that volume was really uh, unknown to me at that time, but became the uh, the kind of core or the heart of what evolved and grew from that point on, to become my own worldview. And that was in, in the prologue where he described the realization that he came to after completing the four-volume Mass of God, that um, he, he was really referring to a, a planetary myth or the, or the myth of the future. And he was—and, of course, that was, it was interesting. To, I didn't get a chance to ask him this directly, but it was only a year after the moonwalk. And so there, that must have had an impact on so many people seeing the Earth with no boundaries. But the, in that prologue, after, uh, he was talking about how that whole series confirmed for him the unity of the human race 
uh, not only in its biological sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. And he saw that um, the unity of the human race as an unfolding process that was on its way to reaching a mighty climax. And and that really stuck with me and was so so powerful and became, as I said, the uh, the centerpiece for my own worldview. Going back to what you were saying uh, about the moonwalk and seeing that mandala of of the earth uh, out there in the blackness of space, this jewel just hanging there, which was such a powerful image at that time for all of us, as you say. And uh, I, I'm thinking about that, 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 it, that you had mentioned that it showed the, the unity of all things, that it showed no, no boundaries. You mentioned it had no boundaries. And that's one of the themes in your book. You talk about unity and love both of those those ideas and in talking about unity you you describe it as it, it's not about uniformity or sameness it's unity existing within diversity uh is how you describe it i believe can can you help us to understand that concept Sure. Yeah. So I use I use oneness and unity in a similar way, or to refer to the same kind of thing. And as you pointed out, it really is about unity in diversity. And so what that means, and and what what uh, I we may get to this later, but I do talk about a culture of oneness, and what that would be like is to. Um, recognize and honor all the differences that do exist within the human family and, and to, you know, respect the differences rather than trying to sweep them away or make them similar. It, so it's about, um, it, it really is about, uh, uh, I mean, it's like a flower garden. It, you know, the more, the more variety you have in a flower garden, the more beautiful it is. It, it's basically that kind of a metaphor uh, for, for uni unity and diversity. And, and so it's it's really uh, realize, coming to realize the richness and the beauty and the strength within all of the differences that do exist. And uh, as as Maya Angelou put it, be um, beneath all of those differences, we are more alike than we are unalike. Yes. And that that's. Um, and you even talk about religion in that way, that the different religions are like all these different branches, but of, uh, really goes down to a same source. And Right. When we, uh, we were talking a little bit before about one universal law, and so if there is one universal law, it's, it's um, organized and... and carried out by one source, whatever we want to call that. And uh, that one source is the creator of the one universal law as well as the one reality that we all live in. But in this world that we do live in, we've gotten into the long-standing habit of 
breaking that one reality down into pieces. And what happens then is that those pieces come in conflict with each other and there's this tension between opposites. And that's all part of the process, too. I'm going to have to interrupt you for just a moment. We're going to come back to this point. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Robert Atkinson, and he's the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, robertatkinson.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Robert Atkinson. He is the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And Robert, we're talking about that central core reality of of unity. And I'm reminded of the different religions that there is one concept that, so far as I know and others have also concurred, that the the golden rule exists in all of them that they, there's some form of the golden rule do unto others i would do unto others as i would have them do unto me and they just across the board and then i noticed in your book it was so wonderful you quoted uh, larry dr larry dossie and uh, he had said uh, a kind of a a take on this golden rule that I found just marvelous is uh, be kind to others because in some sense they are you. Be kind to others because in some sense they are you. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's great uh, the way he put that because it is that is referring to reality as one and the interconnectedness of all things in that one reality. And uh, there's really no... That I, one of the things about the, the golden rule is that it's kind of stayed the same yet evolved over the centuries within all of the traditions. And that is uh, probably the most common uh, spiritual truth that all the world's religions do share. Um, but one interesting other take on the golden rule wasn't really made clear until this most recent revelation coming in the mid-1800s. And that is that in Baha'u'llah's expression of the golden rule, he's the first one to add a little preface to the golden rule, which says, if thine eyes be turned to justice— do unto others. You know, that, uh, so Baha'u'llah is the first prophet, the first uh, of the world's religions to put it in, to put the golden rule in the context of justice itself. 
And um, so justice becomes a balance in the creation to, to help maintain that oneness of the creation itself. And then we need to say uh, Baha'u'llah was the uh, main pre, uh, the prophet of the religion Baha'i. And so not everybody is familiar with his name, at least yet, but uh, many of us know the Baha'i religion. And uh, it was interesting in in your book, when I started to go through it, uh, when you uh, mentioned the precepts of, or, of, or the, the, what, what would, be called the equivalent of the Ten Commandments. These are the eight precepts of the Baha'i uh, religion, which are is about world unity and lasting peace. I was just blown away by these precepts, uh, and I would I would love for us to be able to go through some of this, some of them, if if we may. Sure. Uh, so the 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 first one was. Um, was it's called the independent investigation of reality is a fundamental obligation of all human beings. So we 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 need to we're admonished to explore explore to to really to to know these to get to so say something about that. Particular yeah, precept. that's a that's a variation on another idea or concept. That, it's in, that is in a lot of religions as well. Seek and you shall find. But in this case, it's given a greater prominence because of the um, trouble we can get ourselves in if we follow others without, and what they tell us to do or tell us to believe, without really finding out for ourselves if that is what we do believe in or want to follow or, you know, so, so it's about, and, and it's also related to the, the importance of each individual investigating reality on their own has to do with the way that individual consciousness unfolds and evolves within and for the individual. If we don't explore and and in many cases, go off on our own adventure or call to adventure. We just um, get so used to everything that we're told and see, and don't question anything. I just get the idea. Then, then we become a spectator to our own spirituality rather than a participant. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. There, uh, the second one, which is very interesting, it's true religion is in harmony with reason and the pursuit of scientific knowledge. Wow. Now, wait a minute. So he is saying, he's revealing that science and religion are not in opposition to one another. Right. And that comes back again. I mean, all these are kind of aspects of understanding reality as one. So if reality is one, how could knowledge systems meant to describe or understand that reality be in opposition to each other? Because they're all they're they're trying to understand the same reality, and that's very true uh, with science and religion. One of the ways of understanding those two knowledge systems in relation to reality is that we can say that um, science discovers truth, 
about reality, and religion reveals truth about reality. There, and as we see now with people like the quantum physicists and others, other scientists like those, they're they're coming to conclusions that couldn't be seen as anything but spiritual or mystical, even. And so, evolutionary wise, <laughs> over the course of our human evolution. Science and religion have even been coming closer and closer together as we evolve and as our understanding of reality itself gets deeper and deeper. So there will be a point in the future when it'll be much clearer that science and religion are ultimately talking about the same reality. And I think that this is something that Einstein came to. Exactly. His, I do have a quote in the book about Einstein um, and, and his take on that, on that precept. The third one uh, was just one for, that is very great to my heart is women and men are equal in the sight of their creator. So he really acknowledges right there in the very beginning, he's saying, hey, it's all equal. It's, it's not uh, women subjected to the to men in any way uh, so that's 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 a leap from some of the earlier prophets exactly it's a total leap especially when you consider the time and the context that these precepts teachings came out of which was mid 19th century persia that was one of the settings where there was the worst or the most discrimination you know, uh, against women at that time. And so all of these uh, teachings, precepts, were quite a ways ahead of their time. But in terms of this one, it really is about um, understanding that in the sight of God, uh, male, female, doesn't matter at all. We're all equal human beings with the same soul that that uh, is on its journey um, toward reunion or and and uh, the so the 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 earth is kind of like our school in terms of the classroom and the playground and everything else and the, and the the classroom the playground has to be equal for exactly. everyone to make it equitably through this this uh, classroom. <laughs> The, the fourth precept that Baha'u'llah uh, put forth was there is a spiritual solution to the world's economic problems. Wow. Now, now he's saying this, as you say, it's, it's mid-1800, so to speak, in Persia. And he's talking about, hey, there, that the economic system is not finish yet it's it maybe isn't even equitable that 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 it's not the distributive wealth even then it is not right and now it's even worse and he's saying right there hey there is a spiritual solution yeah there is and it's 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 a tough thing to get to for and for people to recognize agree upon but um 
most, if not all, economic systems throughout time have been built on a materialistic perspective and approach and goal. And that's been, and, and left out of that has been a spiritual perspective, which would bring in all of the other uh, that we've been talking about and more, the, the equity, justice, equality, and all of those things. So there's a, there's a spiritual side to an, to an economic system that, especially when we get to, as we are now, we're coming to a real time for real need for a global economic system. And uh, that just has to be built upon a, a, a spiritual principles rather than purely, totally materialistic ends. Then the fifth one is all forms of prejudice, religious, ethnic, national, or class must be replaced with the recognition of our oneness. So this is kind of that that uh, you were talking earlier, uh, unity and diversity. Right. And it, it goes... Um, and the one, the other principle that will make that possible, that will make uh, the the kind of ideal unity and diversity possible, is not only the the recognition and the acceptance of the oneness of humanity, but but also applying and living by the principle of love and and altruistic love, uh, and that has. I have a chapter that talks a bit about how how the concept of love has evolved over time uh, through um, a whole series of things like the elimination of slavery, civil rights movements, and everything else that has broadened the circles of unity, the circles of love. From It's really a developmental process of uh, moving from uh, the ideal in a family setting to a tribal setting to a village setting, to a city setting, to a national setting. And now the real need of our time is to apply the principle of unity and diversity, the principle of oneness, the principle of altruistic love on a global level. I'm here with Robert Atkinson. He's the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, robertatkinson.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Robert Atkinson. He's the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And we're talking about love right now. And what I love about love, <laughs> and, and you mentioned this in your writings and in your wisdom, uh, that love is one of the most attractive forces in the universe. It binds it all together. It's a it's a magnetic force. It is. It's so strong. It holds the planets uh, around the sun. It 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 holds us together. And I'm I'm reminded of um, uh, how there there was an, a picture I saw years and years ago uh, of two babies, and they were twins, and they were born premature, and and they were put in two separate incubators, and one was thriving and the other one wasn't. And there was a nurse who uh, insisted and she took the position that they needed to be put together in the same incubator. And so she transferred, especially the one that wasn't thriving, into the incubator with the other one. And the other one instinctively put its arm around its twin and you see this picture of this this one hugging the other it was so poignant to me it was so powerful an image of the naturalness of what we have our affinity for one another to to be companions in in a loving way towards one another so I, if you have any other words about this particular precept of um, the, uh, the recognition of our oneness and replacing uh, all forms of prejudice, uh, I, it's just beautiful. But I, I'm going to, I, I, I want to go on because we have three others that we may be able to cover in this time. Uh, one is the variety of religious expressions. This is six of the eight. The variety of religious expression in the world has the same source and shares a unity of purpose. And um, you mention in the book that this is, and you've already mentioned in this program, that it's continually unfolding through the messages of the different prophets. So the different epics, you know, we we build on it. It progresses. Right. And they're all kind of branches of the same tree. And uh, that's one of the metaphors that can be used for it. Um, and, and, of course, that's a common, well-understood metaphor in, in Native indigenous cultures, the, the, the sacred tree. And... Um, so we have we have just we have many branches, but one tree that have all come from the same source, and they're all nurtured. the The, the tree is is nurtured by the same source, um, and as you just said, it um, the the tree grows, new branches come along at a time when they're needed, um, and that's the way it's going to continue forever. Right. Uh, and uh, seven and eight, I'm going to read together uh, these precepts uh, for world unity and lasting peace that comes from uh, the prophet Baha'u'llah, uh, who was the uh, prophet of the Baha'i religion. 
and the last two, seven and eight, are humanity is one family, and eight is nature is the embodiment of the divine. Uh, so uh, especially in the last one, uh, really, he, he is, he's saying our collective survival depends on the care and protection of our natural environment. That's, that's powerful, uh, that climate change is an ethical issue. So uh, that's right there in the precepts. Can, can you comment on that? I think it's powerful. Well, yeah, the problem we've gotten ourselves into as a as a species is that we haven't put those moral principles first, which is the opposite way that um, indigenous native cultures had been have been doing it forever, and want to be able to continue to do that. We've we went through a long period that I think of as a as a uh, where we carried a a consciousness of duality. And so it's been man against nature for a long time. And, and of course, the, the, uh, where we're headed is toward a consciousness of oneness, and that brings the unity and the harmony back together to be between all forms of life and the, plant, the living planet that we inhabit. So it, they've got to be seen as a whole and and uh, respected as part of the um, as our homeland, which it is, and will we if we continue to um, ignore factors like climate change and even the um, even the dis- disappearance of species, um, we're going to get ourselves into even more trouble than we are right now. And, and and just to have these as a spiritual principle, it really adds a lot of um, weight to it. It's not just, oh, this is a good idea, but this is a spiritual principle to be a, a stewardship of the earth. Uh, and I it, also, I would love to ask the question, um, do you do you feel that there are any unseen, forces helping humanity at this time are are we just doing this on our own or are are is are we joined by maybe some the invisible world let's say that's a great question i like that a lot yeah i i definitely do feel that there are invisible forces assisting us and and guiding us uh, to accomplish uh, and and to arrive at the destination that we've been destined for, and so w- one of the ways I think of that is that with the release of each new revelation, there's also a release of spiritual energies that just continue throughout the world, and can be and are picked up by anyone, usually not knowing that they are that they are picking up anything that's out there or even where it came from. But, I mean, there's so many examples like that from, from Charles Darwin, who parallel, whose life paralleled the Baha'i Revelation and wrote some things that are so close to the Baha'i Revelation itself, he, which is the opposite of what he's known for. But, but um, so from Darwin to um, even, even recently with the, um, with the Women's March, I mean, that was a perfect example, I think, of how 
women and others all over the world picked up on those spiritual energies and wanted to uh, speak out in one voice for oneness. And uh, they were, everyone uh, that participated in that, uh, I mean, not, nobody could have planned that to happen the way it did. And so it, it, it emerged through tapping into all those people involved, tapping into uh, the, the spiritual energies that are out there to guide us and assist us in this process. So even with all the uh, chaos that we are feeling and conflict that we are feeling in these threshold times, uh, you seem to be holding some optimism and hope for the future. Very much so. It's not it's not a matter of, of if, but when. And what it takes for us to get there depends upon depends upon the action we take, each of us. And so it's a, one of the other ways I like to look at that whole process is that uh, love is the spiritual activism of our time. And I think, that's, I think that was um, expressed in its own way through the Women's March as well. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's really, um, there's so much to be hopeful for out there. Um, the, the human spirit individually and collectively would not allow things to go on without um, making effort to help uh, and be part of bringing about the promise of all the world's religions, which is peace on earth. And that just reminds me, and I, I want to go out with this, because I know that in your book, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness, you have a, a meditation that you have left us with, a meditation for living in oneness. And this is really about a meditation to, to move us down into our hearts, especially in these times when, when we can feel uh, agitated about the future and, and all the bad news that, that we're receiving all the time, seemingly, to, to keep us in this heartful loving place. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. It, it's a, with any spiritual practice, it's something that we have to do on a regular basis. And the more that we do our spiritual practice, whatever it is, the more we can see a difference and a change happening, happening both within us and around us. But this particular meditation of living in oneness is, is designed to do that, it's, it's meant to be a daily practice, and um, and it does take you deeper into the heart level, and brings the world back to you, and and encourages each individual to um, meditate on ways in which each of us can be active participants in the world to bring about a culture of oneness. Robert, I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking with Dr. Robert Atkinson. He is the author of The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And his website is robertatkinson.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3605. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.